through the bond of peace. But then it goes on to talk about this sense of diversity, starting with verse 11. It was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastor teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all. Can you just underline those two words? We all, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to all, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so we see this sense of unity through the bond of the Spirit. It's very clear, and yet we have been called in very different, in, in very different ways. Some of us have spiritual gifts that are very different than others talents or skills that you've acquired, great, stronger, greater education. And this ends up determining our, our spirit, not just our spiritual gifting, but our, our calling and how we end up ministering. And so we have various ministries. It, it never ceases to amaze, but the, the tendency is for the youth leader, for example, to say, hey, we need more money. And, you know, too much money is being given to the children's ministry needs to come our way. And we can tend to think very unilaterally. And the church's finances, in view of rather the church's finances, how does my ministry fit into this? And we're needing more money for my ministry. And we tend to think very focused. It's about my ministry in this church. And the senior pastor's tough job is to listen to all of these needs and say, now, how are we going to do this? How are we going to accomplish these ministries? Because people are gifted and called uniquely, but have different flavors, different colors, not skin colors. But they're, they're like a, the body of Christ can be like a kaleidoscope. Different churches with special callings, maybe because of the senior pastor and the vision and gifting that God has given him. And people in the community have tended to gravitate towards him. There are some churches that are called to a unique ministry with regard to um, crisis pregnancies. My, my wife and I and some of the leaders in the church went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago and just challenged and encouraged um, the Crisis Pregnancy Center here in Sanford doing a tremendous job. We talked about it. Respects. number of people spoke because there are certain churches that are heavily burdened with this, and we want to be able to say, what can we do to be a part of this? But certain churches are uniquely called and gifted, though all of us are called in some way. So do you see what I mean? And we need those churches. We need them, their gifting to emerge. Just because they're different than us, maybe theologically, should not cause us to be divided. We need one another. And it is a sense of difference that tends to cause us to push other people away in the body of Christ. And it is intentional as a part of God's plan. I have up here a box of crayons, and I am sure I probably can't name them. Maybe at one time when I was a little kid, I could probably name all the different colors here. Do they still put the names of the colors on the, 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 the crayon? They do. This one, um, I'm going to have to put my glasses on. But this one, it looks pink to me, but it is actually called carnation pink because there's other pinks well no there aren't other pinks in here but there are other let me choose green here we go uh, this one is called green yellow this one right here is yellow green not green yellow but yellow green okay a little bit different this one right here 
There we go. It's just called green. Or if you speak Spanish, it's called verde. All right. There are different types of blues and yellows and, and the like. And, and the bottom line, though, is Crayola chose not to create one color or just simply blues because the president of the company liked blue the most, and so he created a bunch of different colors of blues. But we have greens and yellows and reds and pinks, and they're important. This is the Shire, and Hosanna Fura did this. Thank you, Hosanna, for bringing this. But she drew this herself, and it's a picture maybe of uh, Bilbo Baggins' home in the Shire. How many of you like The Hobbit, by the way? You've seen that movie. Love it, love it. And just, just Jared Tolkien, what a creative genius he was. And so she, all these different colors come together without the different colors. I'm sorry. How boring would that, would that be? You know what? If everybody in the church looked and acted like Mike Curtis, we would be boring. Sorry, that's, that's, a, that's not a slant against me. I, I'm, yeah, I, all right? Her personality, very spontaneous. I can remember when we were first married, it would be Friday at the end of the day, and she would say, say hey, what do you want to do? How about if we do this? And I think, we should have planned this last week. What are you talking this is, this, this is our shaking for me. We didn't plan it. And, and for me, it was plan, plan, plan. For Meredith, it would say, you know, I kind of like planning okay, maybe a little bit, but you know, we, we, we need spontaneity, Mike. And so she has learned to be more of a planner, and I've learned to be more spontaneous. And my world doesn't come crashing around when we just suddenly do something that we weren't planning on. Can I ask you, spouses, who are those of you who are married today, how many of you married a person who is very different than yourself? Very different. Now, there are a few in which they're very similar. Donald and Laura, you know, there's some similarities there. I see some differences, but they're very similar. And, but many of us, tremendous diversity. And I'm going to tell you this, that this is beautiful. This is actually intentional. We can have intelligence level dif differences, personality, perspective, cultural. The, here, here's something I want to bring to your attention. Because Genesis 1 was actually purposeful. It was purposeful. Listen to this. In, Gen excuse me, in Revelation 21, and I'm going to read verse 24. It says, the nations will walk by its light, that is the light that comes from the Lamb, <clears throat> and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, into the kingdom, into the, the, the city of God, which is the kingdom of God. They're going to bring their splendor. Can I ask you this? I might be wrong. I understand this. I, I, I've thought long and hard about it. I hope I'm not. But what is the splendor, Noi? And so we get ethnicity from this. So, and it's not just geopolitical entities like countries, but these nations are people groups. In, in some countries like China, they have many hundreds of people groups. India, hundreds of people groups. So we want to be careful that India is not just an ethnos, a nation, but it's filled with many ethnos, different languages, different foods that they cook. What is the splendor of the nations? Because it is something that was very intentional by God. When God created genetic diversity so that all the different skin colors would be represented in Adam and Eve, all the different head shapes, sizes, height, uh, various colors, cultural that we might view today as cultural differences 
and, and how people look. And, you, you know, some of them with bigger thighs and smaller calves and others just very lanky and tall and uh, just amazing diversity throughout the world. And it was inbred. Adam and Eve were created with that diversity. How about the creatures of this world? He left when Charles Darwin thought he had discovered and proven the, his theory of evolution, and I'm going to use the term macroevolution, because macroevolution means large changes so that a species, or technically a kind, is then over hundreds of millions of years or tens of millions transformed into another kind. He did this when he went to the Galapagos Islands, and you remember the story, he discovered finches in different climes, and each in each climb, the finch had a different sized beak or head or shape or color. This is evidence of macroevolution. I'm, I'm adding that word macro. He just said evolution. And I would say all he has shown is the tremendous beauty of God's creation in which he created a bird that had tremendous adaptive abilities. But guess what? Throughout the Galapagos Island, the finch remains a finch. You never see a finch turn into a different type of bird, a, a, a stork. You never see the finch turn into a, um, a weasel or into some fish or any other kind of creature because Scripture says God created them. And so my point here is the adaptive abilities and therefore the diversity even within God's created order. This is natural. It is inbred and it reflects the glory of God. When the nations and with their kings come into the heaven itself, into God's kingdom, they bring the splendor of that culture into that kingdom as well with them. This is their glory. This is what God has bestowed upon them. And it reflects the creative genius of God himself. This side of heaven, be able to look around at the body of Christ and those who have been transformed by the powerful blood of Jesus and how different their skin color is, how different their cultural ethnicity is, and to be able to glorify God because it reveals the creative nature and the beauty and the power of our God. This is the splendor that he's going to bring into his kingdom. Our problem, though, is this tendency to want to allow our differences to be the best. There is something with that wants to preserve me and look down upon others. And we do that when we speak about their differences. When we highlight their differences in a way that is condescending. Churches speak this way from the pulpit. You can pick up books and you can read about it. It's everywhere. And so I'm going to suggest to you that God has allowed these differences in the body of Christ and that he has purposefully chosen to go beyond ethnic diversity to gifting this truly glorifies God. And what do we do? We highlight those differences. You're different than me. Now, I want to get practical here. Um, 
Can I ask you this? Do other people's differences make you feel uncomfortable? Those who tend to be loud because you're more of a reserved person, do they make you feel uncomfortable? Because when they speak, they're loud, and, and they just share so freely. We have some of those in our church. I tend to be a little bit more reserved, and when I met my wife, and she was rather outspoken, I would, I would there was a lot of her, you know, so what? She wanted to just speak about Jesus, regardless of what you might think, and I'm, I'm, I just thought so differently. Well, God had to give me a little bit of a rude awakening to really learn to appreciate my wife's differences. How do you feel when people are different than you? How do you treat them? Do you tend to exclude or include? What about our differences that are not the result? And here is where I want to go the rest of our time together. What about those differences that are, that are not the result of how God created us, but rather is the result of us living in a fallen, sinful world. Theologically different than some of you even in this church. And maybe even more so in other churches. When I read my Bible, I'm gonna say this, I truly believe there is only one interpretation. Should women be pastors or should they not? I have a personal understanding from the word of God, and I hold to it pretty strongly. I'm trying to walk it out and learn how it's to be applied in our church and, and such. When the question comes up, you know, is the earth millions or billions of years old? Is the, is the universe actually 13.8 billion years? Has the created universe, world, earth of only about 6,000 years, which when you read the Bible more historically, and literally, that's the conclusion you come to. Now, I hold to that position of mine very firmly. I truly do. Because it has implications if you believe the earth is old, such as God created suffering and hardship and cancer and the disease and viruses before the fall of man. I believe they're the result of the fall of man. But if, anyway, I'm not going to get into that anymore. See, I, I have these pet teachings because I do believe that they're important. And I'm not going to say that they're not. I truly think they are. Should women be pastors? Because I am a fallen creature, I'm going to have a different take on it that may not be right. And my pastor friend, she may have a different view. Now, I'm going to tell you one of us is right and one of us is wrong. There's only one truth, okay, with regard to a subject. The, 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 okay, logically, there is a truth. But in the body of Christ, that's not, it's not always the same. How about baptism? Some believe you should baptize when your children are young because they believe in covenant theology. I'm not going to explain that right now. But they believe that it's a reflection of Old Testament circumstances. Hearing especially, adhere to that Lutheran. I disagree with it. I, th I think the Bible teaches actually very strongly in, excuse me, in, in believer's baptism, but it has implications, okay? And this is my concern, the implications of teaching. So we can, as a result, this is where I'm going, we can have different beliefs. And as a result, there are certain denominations with certain beliefs. I don't look down upon different denominations. 
What do you do when one pastor says that there should be women pastors, another says, I, I don't believe that that's their place. I believe they should be heavily involved with ministry, but not as pastors. What do you do? Do you consequently, they are, they, there is room for diversity in theology within the body of Christ. But my concern is this. How do we deal with that? How do we treat this? Because many times from the pulpit, we lambast churches. God forbid that I, as your pastor, should ever do that. There is only one time and one reason for me sharing some, when, some, when another person is, is different than myself theologically that I'm going to point it out to you. It is because it falls in this category that touches on the gospel. And Paul does this as well. These names, these people, like Hymenaeus or Alexander, begin to adhere to a heresy. That is a teaching that is leading the body of Christ away from the one central truth of Jesus Christ that centers on what we call the gospel. And the gospel is absolutely important. It is central to every church, every denomination, and when churches veer off course, you know what they did in Israel? They would actually, and we were kind of going through Joshua a bit, and we, we, we realized what they would do is when, a, when one tribe away from the Lord, that the other 11 tribes rose up and said, unless you repent, we will be at war with you. You cannot live in this land that God has given to us and continue to live this way. And it was horrible. And the Benjamites said, you know what? We're still going to do it. And there was war. And all of the Benjamites were wiped out. All of them were wiped out, but just a few. And God says, as we now move into the new covenant, God says the gospel is what we are willing to die over. You know what, church? I am not willing to die over whether or not women. Scripture teaches on that. I am not willing to die on, the t on the, how, how old the earth truly is. I'm not willing to. But you know what I am willing to die for? And I will not hesitate. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is who Jesus is. That is what he accomplished for my salvation. It is this truth that must cut across every denomination and every church but because it is the gospel and only the gospel that unifies us. And so I can rub shoulders with another brother in the Lord that I disagree with theologically for this reason. We both for us because that is what will save the world. And so consequently in 2015 as a church, we joined with many other churches in what was called Sanford 2015. And as we did this, we did see many people getting saved. We did see, we, we put finances towards this. I was so impressed, I think, probably 60 to 75% of our church got involved in this. What impressed me so much was everywhere I looked, I saw people from Powerline serving in this capacity. We weren't the ones that came up with the idea. Others, pastors, that they were joining together. And some of you came to me and you said, well, is this going to be okay? And I said, you know what? This is not a gospel issue. It's, it's, it's not going to be where women are going to stand up and they're going to be preaching and teaching. We can be a part of this. Let's do this. Let's cross these denominational theological boundaries and let's embrace the diversity in the body of Christ. 
And I may be at odds theologically with another brother for as long as I live, but I, because he is a follower of Jesus Christ, I will love him and I would not hesitate to serve him. And so when, when we're talking, Jesus has called us to unity. Can I just share with you how important this is? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then I'm going to give you an example of how God overcame diversity and did something amazing. But here is how important and how significant this is. Because the Corinthians, you're going to 1 Corinthians 3, right? In, Cor- in Corinth, they, Paul discovered that even though he was one of the fathers in the faith, he went there, he proclaimed the gospel, many become became believers, but Peter had also gone there to preach. Apollos apparently had also gone there. Peter's preaching, some through Apollos's preaching. We even read about Apollos preaching there in the book of Acts. So Paul wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only father in the faith, if you will. Well, what began to happen is that they began to identify themselves with this man Peter or or Apollos or Paul, and some believing themselves to be the most spiritual said, well, you know what? I believe in Jesus as if he should even be considered an equal with none of them. And Paul said, what are you guys doing? We serve only one king and that's Jesus. Please don't tell me that you belong to this or that people would identify themselves with Calvin or identify themselves with Arminius. And I hope that those two men would roll over in their, roll over in their graves should they hear the denominationalism in our day. And so consequently, Jesus or, or Paul is, is he's trying to address this because they're speaking against, against one another so harshly, so firmly. It says in verse three, here's how firm he gets with them. He said, you, are you there with you? First Corinthians 3, 3, he says, you are still worldly. Do you know what that means? You are still, and there should. The way you behave, you act just like the world. Now he's a father in the faith. And can I tell you, there are times in which our dads need to speak very firmly with us, right? Because we are way out of line. As a little boy, I was, I was way, way out of line at times. And my dad had to speak very firmly with me. And Paul's a father in the faith. And he's speaking firmly with them right now. He said, he says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Are you not mere men? But now skip over to verses, excuse me, 16 and 17. And he comes down and he makes it very clear what his point is. This sectarianism, this speaking down with such arrogance to other people as you associate with Calvin or Arminius or Wesley or whoever you might find yourself affiliating yourselves and being so proud about it. This is what he says in the speaking against one another. Says, Don't you know that you yourselves, so that's plural, in the New Testament, that temple was of little consideration because it was simply a foreshadowing of what we're going to see in Christ. We now are God's temple. God's spirit is among us collectively. Individually, the spirit of God indwells you, but collectively, the spirit of God is amongst us, and we collectively 
are called the temple of God, plural. You yourselves, we, you, we're the temple of God. Here's what he says about it. Don't you know that you're here amongst us? Listen, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. Church, you are sacred. As we are gathered here collectively as the body of Christ, we are sacred. We are holy before God. Who are we then to look down upon or speak negatively and critically, derogatorily, unlovingly about others? Do you see where he's going with this? To set jealousy amongst yourselves, feeling threatened because the other group is so different than you are, even within the church of Corinth. And you speak negatively about those who align themselves with Peter or Apollos. Because those who follow Paul, I mean, he's the greatest apostle, right? When you do that, you are destroying the body of Christ. I have found this the most difficult with those who tend to leave churches and they speak critically and negatively, not just about our church, but every single pastor faces this. The gossip, the slander that takes place, those people are distributing about them. As a pastor, my job is to shepherd and protect and to warn and guide It is not to speak critically, negatively, unlovingly, but judiciously. That's how we speak. If we're not careful, we will end up destroying the church of Jesus because we think so differently than one another. And he warns us, if you're doing that, you will be destroyed. The church at Corinth, you will be destroyed. No problem. Reading books from other men who think very differently than me. I have no problem speaking to those that I disagree with. But how I do it is absolutely crucial. Church, how we interact, not just amongst ourselves because we're probably more similar, but those outside of our church, those who are of different cultures. Do we look down upon them? Do do we have the sense of arrogance? The most important thing is the gospel. I can remember this illustration that was shared with me, and as a young pastor, it meant so much to me. Coast to the West Coast, and he flew over Kansas in order to, to, to get there. Now, when he looked down, I guess he was lowing, flying low enough, but he could see the, the fences, the demarcations between the ranches. They were huge, of course, you know, hundreds and hundreds, and if not thousands of acres. And they were planting a lot of uh, wheat. And so in the very, in the growing, excuse me, in the, in the planting season, you saw a lot of these fences dividing these, uh, these farms, these ranches. Several months later, while he was flying back over the very same place, the fences, and he could no longer see the divisions and the difference between the properties, the ranches. And that ministered to me for this reason. God 
delights in diversity. And even in our fallenness, he recognizes, you know what? Mike Curtis is going to be really boneheaded in some of the things he believes. And some of these other pastors, yep, they're going to be boneheaded. And some in the body of Christ, we're going to hold on to these things. But here's what you cannot do. You cannot fight. You cannot bicker. You cannot look down upon others. And consequently, the most important thing is the gospel and that people are responding to the gospel. And that's the options. We understand this, but they are never to become the focal point of why we exist. It is always Jesus Christ. Church, it will always come back to him. Always. In Argentina, and I'm going to be brief with this. I've shared with you this before. In Argentina, there was tremendous denominationalism. They realized, and Argentina is a, a large country. It's one of the largest in South America. In order for God to bring revival amongst those who believed in Jesus Christ, some of them here can, some of them Pentecostal, some of them non-denominational, in order for God to bring revival, they realized there needed to be a unity amongst those who truly believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they began to pray for one another. They would actually invite other pastors from different denominations to stand behind their pulpit and preach. They began to do services together, just the pastors, because they realized if there's no unity among the pastors, then there will not be any unity amongst the body. And And as they, uh, Claudio Friedzon remembers that time in which as they were doing this and washing one another's feet, some churches became well known for speaking out against other churches. And the one pastor from this one church that had spoken out so harshly against another went over to this pastor and knelt down before him, and he confessed his sin to him, and he apologized, and he washed that man's feet. And a unity amongst the pastors, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Now, please understand, I'm emphasizing gospel-preaching, because there are many so-called churches in America that do not Their their unity is over something other than Jesus Christ and what Christ accomplished. That's our focal point. And what happened in, in Argentina as a result of this in the 1980s was that 3 million people came to Christ. Prisons experienced revival. They began in prisons ordaining prisoners as pastors Because not only had they come to Christ and matured in their faith, but they began to form churches, unified churches in prison. There was one that had a a slightly greater than 2,100 of them were Christians. Hello. That is a move of the Spirit of God. And it is... in this book, uh, That None Should Perish by Ed Silvosa, uh, Silvo, he, he recalls six different principles that they began to follow in. And as other places throughout the world began to practice those very simple principles, perhaps one of the greatest was this issue, this idea of unity. What they began to experience was nothing short of revival, an awakening in their country. Church, I'm going to tell you, if we, according to John 17, in which Jesus prays for complete unity, if we do 
meaning our church with others, such as in, in Sanford 2015. Could we do that? Well, I was so proud of you guys. You were able to do it. You had questions, good questions, serious questions. We walked through those with good biblical answers. We rubbed shoulders with people who were very different than us. But we all believed in and passionately followed Jesus Christ. Consequently, God began to move in Sanford. It was really a response um, to the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman case. It was, and, and that case has sought for that the pastors, both black, white, Hispanic, you name it, began to rise up and said, we will not allow this. This is not a racist court case. And all of them said that in unison. There were dissidents. There were those that disagreed and said, no, this is a race issue. But it was not. And the pastors, stood. the majority of them stood strong. We were asked to go to the trial. At least two pastors, we signed up to go to the trial and to have a pastoral presence so that if arguments or any kind of division should rise up, that we and calm the storm, and be able to bring love and some semblance of unity. The pastors rallied and said, enough of the racism in our, in our city. We have to see this die. It affects and it infects churches. And they just took a stand. We will... We will work hard and do everything we can to allow the Spirit of God to breed unity in our midst so that we do not speak negatively of other churches, we do not speak negatively of other pastors, exclusively the right one, but we are to breed unity. Such divisive talk, Paul says, is worldly and it destroys God's church, God's temple. I want us to just conclude with a mindset from Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, can I be really clear at this point before I read this passage? I am not suggesting that care about bad behavior. Scripture says that bad Bad company corrupts good behavior. As parents, it can be very difficult, even within a church, much less outside of our church in the body of Christ, when one child wants to play with another, for example, but a parent perceives this child to have bad character. How does the parent deal with this? Does the parent just say, no, I'm not going to let you play with my son? or my daughter, not going to do that. Wisdom and great care and love needs to be poured into us. We wanted to raise our children the best possible way, but that didn't mean that we just had our kids go off and play in anybody's house. We didn't do that. And so consequently, for us to get to know people, we had these children come into our home. My wife was the one who was at home the most, and so she would have the kids play in one room, and we would be able to observe their behavior. We found a way to make it work so that we did not promote 
division. And we were able to still raise our children in a way that we believed would be of godly character. But you know what? This is a hard choice as well. And we want to protect our family. We want to be, protect our children. How we do this, though, is going to mean whether we are inviting unity or disunity in our midst. But there is a way to be able to preserve this unity. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see something that is of vast importance to Paul in which there is a need in Jerusalem. The culture is Jewish. And many times throughout the Roman Empire, the Jewish culture was looked down upon. And it pervaded the Roman Empire. For you, They had the heritage of the old covenant given to them. And now you have the rich blessings because they, were, they even fought for it in the Maccabean Revolution. They fought for it and they have, many have died for it because the, they were willing to preserve the truth that now is the springboard to this new covenant in Christ. And so I believe that you Gentile churches should pull together your finances and be a blessing to this to this uh, J Jerusalem church that is going through a hard financial time right now. And consequently, Paul had the finances and he went around to different churches, set it up a year before and went around, collected the finances. And then he took this huge monetary gift with him to Jerusalem and gave it to the leaders of the church to distribute it as it was needed. But it was the Gentile, very ethnically different churches that now contributed to this Gen th this Jewish, very different ethnic type of church to be able to bless and meet their needs for one reason, because there was unity through Jesus Christ. Jesus had rescued both the Gentiles and the Jews. And so it was this way. He says, our desire, verse 13, our desire is not that others be, heart be relieved while you, Gentile, Corinth, Gentiles in Corinth, while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty, one day, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Can I just say very briefly, equality does not mean equal finances. That is something that is akin to communism, and it is completely the body of, within the body of Christ. They rise up and seek to meet that need. Can I just ask you, how are we doing? If there is truly unity in our midst and we're sensing unity with other churches, how are we doing in meeting those needs? Not just in our church, but those needs. You know, my wife and I had a personal conviction that it was not just going to be our church that we were going to give to, but that it was going to be something like compassion or gospel for Asia to be able to be a blessing. These groups, they, they were meeting a personal needs. And so just about since we have been married, and I think, didn't you have one before we got married? Yeah. And so I think we continued on with that, and we've had numerous children that we have. Some of my children sponsor multiple compassion or GFA children through those ministries, because we have a heart for the poor. We, we, don't, we, we try to see outside of our little box of Christianity to the global church. 
And, and I'm sure that we could do much better. We want to do better. We want to see needs that aren't just in our church, but globally. And so we have no problem teaming up with other gospel-believing organizations to meet those needs. And he says here, down to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see, God will provide the grace to be able to bless others. Others who think differently than you. Their skin colors differently. Their culture is very different. As the body and say, okay, God, with what you have given me, especially as an American church, what can I do to the global body of Christ to meet their needs? And it's not just financial. We have Evan and William who are in Taiwan right now. They're they're part of Navigators and a part of our church. And I hope you're praying for them every day, praying that God gives them opportunities. I think it's about only 5 or 6%, though they're in a Christian university, only about 5 or 6% of the people that they're teaching English are actually Christians. So there's plenty of opportunity for them to evangelize once they are able to communicate clearly enough. So culturally, for them to be able to see beyond, you know, the, the fences and as they have this vision of the full harvest bending over those fences, the harvest is at stake there. I hope the harvest is at stake in our lives. Can you stand with me? I realize that every single one of us is probably going to walk through those two doors at the end of the service sometime with a little bit different than what the next person had. But I'm going to pray right now that God is going to show you and be very clear how you are to walk this out. Because complete unity, the world will not know who Jesus is. That's how important this is. So, Father, I ask that you would speak by your spirit so clearly to us. Father, to hide your truth in our heart, to live it out to be so careful what we speak, Lord, to be careful with our actions and how we treat others and especially those outside of our church. Father, to be willing to guard the truth, though, to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ, to walk out with wisdom those that God, give us wisdom. Give us a great capacity to love so that, Father, your spirit would move so powerfully and mightily in your temple, in your church, in this generation, 
that God, your spirit would begin to revitalize your church, that we, God, would be so vocal about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, Father, we would proclaim it even to the point of death if we need to, but that, Father, we would hold nothing back. We would live radically for you, God, with such complete unity, and we would speak the gospel with such millions, if not billions, would come to Christ in this generation, God. We believe you can do this. Father, so much is at stake. Empower me today to walk in complete unity with my brothers and sisters in Christ as far as it depends on me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.